Well, we chose Amazing Grace to close the singing portion of our worship service because there's something special about singing a great hymn like that of the faith in the park. Uh, But you know what? There's something great about singing a great hymn like that here gathered together in this building as well. And uh, I am so thankful that our God does not change. He is unmutable, and uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have the opportunity to worship that God together this morning when we gather, no matter where we gather. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who gather in basements, who gather secretly, uh, who gather under threat of persecution and risk their life. Uh, and it is no small thing for them to gather together. And so I'm just thankful that we have this opportunity to be here together. If you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, uh, that is where we will be this morning uh, in, in Sunday school with the teens. We've been going through the book of Acts together. And uh, Acts 17 is just, for me, a powerful uh, passage of scripture, and uh, while we were on vacation, uh, Daryl Painter was teaching Sunday school for me, and he got to teach through Acts chapter 17, uh, and, and so instead, I will share uh, from the pulpit uh, from Acts chapter 17, but we're not actually going to be speaking about Paul and the, Areop- <laughs> the Areopagus, uh, which is a fantastic passage of scripture, uh, and if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to read that. We're not talking about uh, Paul Uh, in Athens. Uh, We are not talking about Paul and the Bereans. Uh, We are only going to be talking about Paul beginning his ministry there in Thessalonica. So we'll be looking at the first nine verses of Acts chapter 17 together, where it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. You know, this morning, there's a lot of things that we could look at in a passage of Scripture like this. But what I really want us to focus on together this morning is is men who turned the world upside down. That is a fantastic Simple phrase in verse 6. They dragged them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities in verse 6. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
You know, I don't know about you, but I would like to be called a man whose faith can turn the world upside down. And the reality is, is that if I have faith in God, if I have faith in Christ, I have the same faith, the same Holy Spirit, and the same power that Paul and these men had. And I think it's important for us to understand that, that you and I can be world changers in our culture today. And I think sometimes we always think, oh, well, that was for a different time, and, and that was for a different culture, and, 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 and that was just something completely different. And yes, there's, there's a lot that is much different. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed. And the power of God has not changed. God is still in the business of changing the lives of men and women. And you and I have been given the privilege and the responsibility of being an ambassador for Christ. So we're going to look at a few of the things that I think are markers of, of what it takes to have a faith that can really have this kind of an impact in our culture. To have a faith which can, which can really have this kind of an impact on, on the government and on all who would listen. And I think the first thing that we need to note is that right at the very beginning, Paul went in and was teaching as was his custom, it says in verse 2. You know, I, I, I think that one of the things that makes Paul a wonderful evangelist and a powerful preacher is that he had a routine of, of going and doing the same things consistently. And it always included talking about his faith. It always included talking uh, about the gospel. It always included talking about the power of God to save people. And I think it's a beautiful thing to have something like that said of you, that, you know what, this is a man, this is a woman, who, who they always have the name of Jesus on their tongue. And unfortunately, in our culture, that's becoming less and less of a popular thing for Christians to do. And I think that you and I have, in the church in general, have, have allowed the culture to, to silence some of our gospel witness because we don't talk boldly and normally in everyday conversation about our faith in Christ as we should. And I think that if we want to have faith that will turn the world upside down, you and I have to begin building traditions and standards and cultures and routines and practices into our lives like this. It was Paul's custom that everywhere he went, he would go to the synagogue and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And you and I need to build that into our lives. We need to be constantly going into places, and, and, and it doesn't mean that we have to be carrying billboards and saying Jesus saves and, and, and doing those kinds of things and pul pounding pulpits, but everywhere we go, we should be noted for that is a man, that is a woman of faith in Christ. I don't know much about them, but I know that, that that man, that woman, believes in God and has a very strong faith. We should be noted for having that kind of faith. That is the kind of faith that takes the world by storm and turns it upside down. And, and it's no small thing. It's, it's, not, it's easy to think of someone like Paul and say, oh, well, he was, a, he was just a traveling preacher. He would go here, he would preach, and then he'd go there, and he would preach. And, and I think it's also important for us to note that it was his custom. He went, but he also stayed for three weeks. As was his custom, he went and he preached the good news, and, he, and, he, and he, for three Sabbaths, he was there and he preached. He was, he was faithful in the lives uh, of the people when he would go and minister there. And I think it's also important to note that, that a man like Paul throughout the week would have been uh, at the city gates. He would have been doing other things. He would go and he would preach in the synagogues uh, on the Sabbath day. 
But then he would also be interacting with the people throughout the week. You see, the gospel is so important that it takes proclamation out front, the preaching and the teaching, but it also takes the, the proclamation in daily lives of sharing life together. And, and P- Paul, even though he didn't uh, stay here long term, it's easy to see why he built relationships with people and why he continued to write letters back to these people who he loved so dearly because he invested everything he had in them and the time that he had to spend with them. And it made an internal impact in the lives of the people of Thessalonica. And I think that that's important for us to understand is that for us to have faith that turns the world upside down, it has to be more than just a Sunday thing. We have to build into the lives of people. Yes, the body of Christ, when we gather together, we should be pouring into one another. But equally important is when we go out throughout our daily lives, we need to be building into the lives and sharing the gospel throughout our week as well. That's the kind of faith that you and I need to continue to develop and to continue to strive for because that is the kind of faith that will have an impact in our culture and in our lives and in our families and in our workplaces. And that is, I think, what our goal is as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a few other things that I want us to note about Paul and his band of merry men as they're preaching the gospel together. Look with me at verses 2 and 3 again. It says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. You see, a faith that will turn the world upside down, our faith is reasonable and factual. You and I need to understand that. I think sometimes we allow those who are in the scientific community who would disagree with the existence of God, we allow others who may just simply uh, be agnostic and and not try to recognize the one true God, we we allow other voices to quiet us, and, and we've been convinced that our faith is not reasonable or factual. And I think that is a that is a lie that Satan uses to silence Christians from proclaiming the good news of Christ. The reality is, is that our faith is reasonable and factual. Christians are called to live an examined life, to have an examined faith. If you ever hear someone say something like, uh, something about blind faith or, or to believe in Jesus is like believing in a fairy tale or to believe in Jesus, you just have to you know, throw your brain out the window. Let me tell you that, that you should not be offended by that although it's not true. But what you should do is see that as an opportunity for you to demonstrate to them that your faith is reasonable and factual. It isn't a blind faith. It isn't like wishing a a genie's lamp. It isn't like a fairy tale. You have a faith that can be based upon factual evidence. They've given you an opportunity for for you to explain to them how Jesus truly is who he said he is, and he's done what he said he will do. You can tell them, I'm glad that you say that, because I don't think we should have blind faith either, and my faith is actually based upon evidence. And if you'd like some resources on on how to uh, explain that a little bit better, uh, a great resource that I would commend to you is there's a man called J. Warner Wallace. He re- he's written several books, God's Crime Scene, Cold Case Christianity, and the teens studied this summer a book called Forensic Faith, which, which talks about how you can use some of these factual evidence things to, to boldly share your faith in Christ. 
And, and uh, J. Warner Wallace says this, Christians, however, are not called to make decisions without good evidence. The God of the Bible does not call his children to obey blindly. All throughout the scriptures, you and I are, are, are told to, to see the truth of the scripture and to understand who God truly and really is. The, the scriptures repeatedly call us to have, have a, a reasoned belief in Christ and not to just resort to uh, unthought behavior like the animals. In fact, in Jude verse 4 and 10, it says this, For certain persons has, have crept in no, unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn from the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. But these men, it says, but these men revile the things they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals by these things, they are destroyed. It, in Jude, it says that, that, that those who are, are denying the existence of God, they're, they're like unreasoning animals. They, they don't want to actually hear the truth of what the Scripture has to say. All throughout Scripture, the word unreasoning and unreasonable is a derogatory term. If you want a faith that turns the world upside down, God wants you to use the brain that he's given you. And he wants you to use your brain to, to read his word and to understand it and to know him and to proclaim that, him to the world around you. You see, it, it isn't a good thing to, to say that you have a childlike faith when you are an 80-year-old that's known Jesus for 60 years. Or you're a 40-year-old that's known Jesus for 35 years. When we come to know Christ, yes, we come in a childlike faith, but then God empowers us with his Holy Spirit so that we can understand his word, so that we can reason and know him and use what we learn about him from his word to proclaim that good news to those around us. And I think sometimes for, for too many Christians, we, we've, turned off of our, we've turned off our brain and we thought, well, we can't really be thinking people and be Christian. We've bought into that lie and we've allowed the world to silence us. And to make us think that we aren't thinking believers. But you and I are supposed to be reasonable and to use the brain that God has given us to find out the truth and to discern the truth. And then when we know it is true, you and I must also use the brain that God has given you to hold fast to what is true. You see, the Gospels were written because they're an important part of the evidence of who Jesus was. If we didn't need the evidence of who Jesus was, if the world did not need to have certainty that Jesus is truly someone who came and lived, who died, and who rose from the grave as we've just sung about, then, then we wouldn't really need the gospel accounts. But God, in his infinite wisdom, made sure that people were writing down the testimony, the eyewitness accounts of what was taking place. So that right now, in the year 2019, you and I would be able to turn back to those gospel accounts and say, this is the Jesus who came, who lived, and who died for us. And we need to proudly and boldly proclaim that to everyone. We know about his, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection because faithful men wrote those things down for us 
because God wanted us to have those facts to share with others. In fact, John wrote, as he, as he was writing his gospel, he was inspired to write in chapter 20, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. I wrote these things in this gospel account so you can see them and know them and know that Jesus is the Christ. And we need to be certain of those things. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want you to see these facts about who Jesus is. I want you to know that these things are true. And then believe and have life in his name. That's why we have the Gospels. That's why God has given us a brain to reason with. Christians are called to examine our faith and to hold fast to that which is the truth. God wants us to to examine all of the things in his scripture that are at our disposal and to study these things with intensity so that we can apply these things to our own lives and share them with others. When we do that, we're truly using our whole body, mind, and spirit to worship him. And let's not forget that, that several times in scripture, in the gospels, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our minds, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. God included that we must love him with our minds. He does not want us to be unreasoning, mindless creatures. He created us with the ability to choose, and he has called us into a relationship with him so that now we can choose to obey through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Use our minds to obey him. Our country was founded upon the principle that that if we would gather together and, and form this group this nation and have this free exchange of ideas the truth of god's word would win out in the end we don't need to shout down those who claim to have information we need to boldly and boldly and proudly proclaim the truth of god's word and allow god's word to penetrate into their lives when we have confidence in god's word when we have confidence in the power that this book has in the words of God to change people's lives, we will have a faith that turns the world upside down. And that's what Paul and his men had. They were so confident in who Jesus was that they were willing to risk their lives to go and proclaim that good news to others. But we also see, continuing on there in verse 3, that what they did is they explained and that, that they were explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. The necessity of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection is something you and I must be certain about if we're going to have a faith that turns the world upside down. You cannot have a faith that turns the world upside down and just be like, well, Jesus is my friend. Well, Jesus is my homeboy. That was popular about five years ago. Jesus is, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is love, so uh, I have a relationship with him. If that's as deep as someone's faith goes, they will never have a faith that turns the world upside down. To have a faith that turns the world upside down, we have to understand that God cannot look favorably on sin, that you and I, because of our fallen sinful nature, are lost and separated from God. We have to have a firm grasp of our desperate need for God's redemption. For us to be reconciled to a holy God. We have to understand that fully. We have to understand the weight of that sin. 
In Habakkuk 1.13, we oftentimes uh, talk about that, that God cannot look upon sin. And, and sometimes we you know, think that, oh, well, that means he can't even look at it. And, and you know, that's actually not theologically true because I am still a poor, wretched sinner in need of God's grace every day. And yet God looks upon me as his child. And he knows what I'm doing. So it's not like he quick looks away when I'm struggling and I'm falling in sin. What that means is that God cannot look favorably upon any sin. God cannot approve upon approve of any sin. God cannot look upon sin and say it's no big deal. But humanity, because of our fallen sinful nature, says things like, well, to err is human. It's no big deal. And to forgive is divine. That's what God does. We sin, God forgives. That's kind of how it works. R.C. Sproul says of that, that we are so accustomed to our fallenness and corruption that while our moral sensibilities may be offended when we see someone involved in a gross or heinous criminal activity such as mass murder, our normal, everyday disobedience to God doesn't seem to bother us. We think that it's important because to err, we don't think that it's important because to err is human and to forgive is divine. When we don't see and know and understand our own sinfulness and our own need of salvation our own desperation that we can't have a relationship with god unless he's done everything and necessary to accomplish our salvation through jesus's death burial and resurrection if we don't understand that fully we're not going to have a faith that turns the world upside down and as much as god does want everyone to have a, a relationship with him he can't simply ignore our sin He can't simply pretend it's not a big deal. He can't be like a parent who's pretending that their toddler isn't really hitting the other kid next to him with the truck on the playground, right? His parents were like, oh, I didn't see that. I don't want to have to go deal with that. God can't do that. God has to deal with our sin. He has to punish our sin. There has to be judgment for our sin. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that I don't have to take the penalty and the punishment for my sin. Jesus Christ did that on the cross of Calvary for me and for all who would believe upon his name. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. We have to understand the necessity of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection if we're going to have a faith that turns the world upside down. And we can't just be, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's true. We have to be absolutely convinced of my own need for Jesus each and every day. And then I can boldly proclaim that good news of the gospel to others. Because I know what Christ has done for me. Because I know he has changed my life. Because I know that I have been forgiven. Because I know the amazing grace of God that we have just sung about john three thirty six says he who believes in the son has eternal life but he who does not obey the son will not see life but the wrath of god abides on him it's not a comfortable thing to talk about the wrath of god but we need to fully understand that were it not for jesus were it not for my relationship with him were it not for his atoning sacrifice on the cross that I would be an object of wrath in God's eyes. And anyone who doesn't have that relationship with Christ is still in that place with God. We have to let that weigh in on our hearts and on our souls, and that will drive us 
to have a faith that will impact the world around us. But if we know that and we know what Jesus has done for us, then it also can lead us to verse 7, which is also so important if you're going to have a faith that turns the world upside down. Verse 7, it says, and Jason, has re- uh, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You know, something about what they were preaching led those who heard what they were saying but didn't want to accept it and believe it. It caused them to say, they're serving this Jesus who's the king. They're saying that Jesus is a king and he's going to be opposed to Caesar. You see, see, they listened to the talk about Jesus being the king, but didn't accept that and want to believe that in their own life. But yet, they heard enough to want to have these men killed because of it. Too often, we're just like this. We hear simple things about Jesus, like Jesus loves you. And we'll accept that. Yeah, Jesus loves us, but, but Jesus died for me. We'll, we'll talk about, okay, I, I can accept that Jesus died for me. But we won't want to talk about the fact that, why did Jesus die for me? Jesus died for me because I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. You see, sometimes people are not spiritually open enough to actually hear the truth. They'll hear the words that we're saying, but they won't, they won't hear the truth that is there. That Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And sometimes when they hear these things about Christ, when they hear that they have to be forgiven, when they, when they hear that they are an object of wrath, sometimes, sometimes they will get angry and they will oppose us. But faith that turns the world upside down is willing to proclaim the truth lovingly, graciously, but boldly, even in the face of opposition. Paul and and this team knew that they would face opposition, and yet they boldly proclaimed that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Jews misunderstood that Jesus is the King of all kings. They didn't fully understand that. And they didn't fully understand that Jesus' kingdom is not a temporary earthly kingdom. No matter how powerful Caesar is, Caesar will die. He will go away. They were proclaiming a kingdom that would never end. They were proclaiming the the king of kings from Revelation 19.16. That's the main passage where the king of kings is mentioned of Jesus. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written king of kings and lord of lords. This this verse is, of course, speaking of the future time when Jesus comes and, and he will rule and reign over everything forever and ever. But he's called the King of Kings. He's called the Lord of Lords several times in Scripture. And every single time, it's talking about the victorious title that Jesus has given because he is the ruler of everything. Because he is God. He was God in the flesh who came, lived a perfect life, who died, not for his sins, but for ours. He is the King of Kings. And the last thing I want us to to see here in this passage of Scripture about what it means to have a faith that turns the world upside down is really all throughout Acts chapter 17, but even all throughout the book of Acts. We see that that Paul and Silas and the the band of merry men were preaching in Thessalonica, they were in Berea, they were in Athens, they they were in the Areopagus, they they were all over the place. We need to understand that Jesus is for all. Paul 
preached the good news wherever he went. And I think it's important for us to note that just in our passage of Scripture, Paul preached to the Jews, he preached to the Greeks, and there were also leading women among them. And sometimes I think we're critical about who we really think the gospel is for. Paul, initially, he would go to the synagogues, and he would preach there. And maybe some would hear, and maybe some would believe. But he faced a whole lot of opposition from those who were already religious. And then he would preach to the Greeks. And, and, and many of them would believe. Because they would hear the truth. He could reason with them from the scriptures, teaching them about who Jesus was, all the way from the Old Testament up to it. Current time. And they would, they would come to know Christ. And I think it's important that several times in Scripture we see that, that the women were also coming. In this passage, it's called the leading women. These were, these were women of, uh, of means, women uh, who were uh, pop culture probably would be the best way to relate that. One of them that we see is Lydia, who, who later, uh, who, who's described in this way, who later is very... In, uh, foundational in the formation of the church in Philippi. Like, like God used some of these leading women, these cultural elite women, to, to have huge impacts on the culture. And while I agree that men must step up and be spiritual leaders, I think too often we minimize the impact that godly women can have on families, on homes, on churches, on communities, on cultures. If you are here this morning, and you are a woman, hear this. God desires to use you to impact your family, your community, your culture, and the world. He desires to use the Jews. He desires to use the Greeks. The gospel is for all. And, and when we know Jesus, the power of God, the same power of God that was in Paul and Silas is in us to help us to turn the world upside down. Praise God for godly women who hear God's word and respond. That doesn't mean that men are off the hook. God does call us to be spiritual leaders. And we should not relegate spiritual leading to anyone else. If you are here today and you are a a father, you need to be a spiritual leader in your home. It's not my or Pastor Mike or Pastor Tim's responsibility to be the spiritual leader for your family. It's yours. It's not your wife's responsibility to be a spiritual leader for your family. It's yours. But thankfully, by the grace of God, if you have a husband and a wife together raising children as God intended it, you have two uniquely gifted and talented believers in Christ trying to raise your children to love Jesus. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we shouldn't minimize that. The gospel is for all. The gospel is for all who will listen. And that means that when we go about our day, it doesn't matter who we come across, if we are willing to boldly build into our lives habits of talking about our relationship with God and who Jesus is and understanding that we can use our faith and reason from the scriptures about that Jesus truly is who he said he is and has done what he said he would do and has accomplished our salvation, we have an opportunity to have a faith that impacts the world so much so that it will turn the world upside down. Uh, I mentioned earlier J. Warner Wallace. In your bulletin, there's a couple resources from him. I'm not really going to talk about them at all. 
but I just really appreciate the way that he thinks through these things. And there's some websites there that you can go to for more information. One is four reasons why the New Testament Gospels are reliable. We need to know that God's Word is reliable, and we can use it to reason with others. And on the back, there's, I like pictures and makes me understand things a little better because I'm slow. The cumulative case for the reliability of the Gospels in a picture form. And it talks about how there's, there's verification, not just internal in God's word, but external from other sources. That, there's, that we've proven that these things are accurate over the years. There's so much out there that you and I can use to apply to our lives so that we will have a faith that turns the world upside down. My prayer for myself, my prayer for everyone in this church, my prayer for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we will truly know God's word enough, know the gospel enough, know who we are in Christ enough that we will boldly go and proclaim the good news of Christ and turn the world upside down because God is still in the business of changing hearts and changing lives just like he was in Thessalonica. He wants to do that right now where you're at, in St. John's, in DeWitt, in Maple Rapids, wherever you call home, wherever you work. He wants to use you to impact the world. Even if you live on the east in Ovid or Elsie or Owasso. I just realized I was only on the going west. So I'm going to close us in prayer in just a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to sing a closing song, and then I'm going to come up uh, and just make an announcement about the fellowship afterwards uh, and and, uh, talk about that just a little bit. But let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would truly impact our hearts and lives today. We have confidence that your word is true. It is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We know that it will accomplish its task if we will study it and apply it to our lives. Father, help us to be men and women of the book. Help us to have such confidence in you and your power that we will boldly proclaim your good news to all who would hear and that you would be able to turn the world upside down right now, even where we are, because you are truly a loving God who saves, who loves us enough to send his son to die for us so that we might be saved. Thank you for who you are and for all that you mean to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.